If I can't make the decision quickly on my own, then I'm going to look at my group and say, okay, who actually has knowledge and experience in these things we're struggling with? Because guess what? Consensus among people that don't have a lot of knowledge and experience is useless. So what you want to do is be super brutally honest with each other and say, okay, who actually has knowledge and experience in these buckets? And guess what? That's the group we're going to listen to on this topic. And that's how we're going to increase our wisdom and make the choice. Welcome to the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders Podcast. While there are a ton of other leadership podcasts out there on the interwebs, this is the only one solely dedicated to developing undergraduate leaders in numerous fields. We bring in interesting leaders from a variety of disciplines and industries to dish out practical advice for entrepreneurial undergraduates embarking on their professional careers. You'll hear from leaders operating at all levels, CEOs and other C-suite individuals who are at the top of their industries, mid-career professionals only several years removed from their college days, and young leaders in school who are already doing amazing things. We feature leaders from business, diplomacy, education, journalism, engineering, law, medicine, and the sports world. It's all part of our mission here at the Pusino Leadership Institute. At Seton Hall, we make leaders better. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders Podcast. I'm Brian Price, the Executive Director of the Pusino Leadership Institute. And today, we're fortunate enough to have Craig LeMasters as our guest. Craig's a self-proclaimed lifelong operator who's had an impressive career in business as a transformational executive leader and someone who is now passionate about sharing his expertise and wisdom with others. He's the former president and CEO of Assurance Solutions, a Fortune 500 subsidiary, where for 11 years, he led them through two remarkable transformations and the global financial crisis. He left Assurance in 2016 to serve as the CEO of GXG, a leading curator of intentional focused conversations with expert operators who share their knowledge and experience. Craig is also a keynote speaker and the author of Unstuck, How to Unlock and Activate the Wisdom of Others, which is available now for pre-sale at Amazon and Barnes and Noble, I noticed. So Craig, we're so lucky to have you on the podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure, Brian. Uh, super excited to, to be with you. I love, love your audience, love the work you guys are doing. So um, um, I really appreciate you inviting me today. Now, this is, this is really cool. And I think right off the bat, I kind of have to thank Kerry Childers for setting all this up. You know, Kerry works with speakers and authors and business leaders to kind of get their message out. And she does a fantastic job of that. But in my opinion, I think her superpower is being like a bit of a super connector. She yeah. is. Uh, I appreciate you saying that, Brian. She doesn't get enough credit. I mean, we wouldn't be getting our little message out and the stuff I'm passionate about without Carrie, and she doesn't often get the shout out. So I appreciate you doing that. She is. She's amazing. No, she's awesome. So I'm eternally thankful for her. So why don't we start off by having you reflect a little bit on your sure. impressive career. And on your webpage, craiglamasters.com, mm-hmm. you start out by saying, I'm an operator. Yeah. All my life, I've run stuff. Yeah. And, I, yeah. and I love that sentiment. I love for you to kind of provide some context for our audience about, you know, first, your corporate career and the success that you had, but then also your decision to pivot to your current mission with GXG and coaching other CEOs and other leaders. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, absolutely, uh, Brian. And the reason I say operator is, is, is that in the space I'm in now, I mean, we do obviously all kinds of advisory and, and fund consulting work. And this space is mostly made up of academics, which is terrific, and sort of thought leaders, people that have really studied deeply things, and they're super helpful. What I thought might be missing in this space was an operator perspective. And, and it's a really simple term. It just means that that's all I know. I just have run stuff. That's what I, I love growing businesses. I got a chance to to do it. And that really leads to your second question. I, I, I have a little bit of an odd background, but it's really simple. I spent 27 years with the same company. And today, that's almost unheard of. I mean, when I do, you know, public speaking events, people look at me like I'm a unicorn. <laughs> like, well, who does that? But the reason I did it was really simple. I, I, I was in this amazing, relatively small company when I started, a public company, but it was amazing because they just kept giving me more opportunities. I mean, at 26, I was running a PL, not very well, you know, spent some, about a decade learning and losing money for the company and then making a little and just learning along the way. But they just kept giving me those opportunities. And I guess I missed an important meeting one day and got picked to be CEO. And as I tell people, you know, the, the average tenure of CEO is about four years now, some, some maybe less than that now. Uh, but I got to be CEO for 11 years. Or, as I like to say, as a public company, 44 quarters, right? Because that's how you sort of lead, unfortunately, in managing a public company. But it, to say the least, it was a long time. And the way I would summarize it, Brian, is I had the best big company job anybody could have. Had a super supportive board, wonderful holding company. I got to build a global company, which was one of my passions of how to build something outside of the U.S., got to build a, a pretty functioning digital company from a legacy insurance company that wasn't digitized. And just, a, and most importantly, got to surround myself with a group of people that were just amazing. And, and, and that leads to the final answer of your third question, which is, you know, why would you pivot? And I get that question a lot because that's a really good job. I mean, running a big company is a pretty good job, but I, I got to a place where for me, at, and I did this right before I turned 55 a couple of years ago. The idea all of a sudden that I could take this incredible wisdom that people had shared with me. And if I could synthesize that to just a couple of things that really, as I say, move the needle, not, not everything, there's tons of work out there, but if I could synthesize to a couple of things as an operator that move the needle, wouldn't that be fun if I could make a business out of that? and had no idea whether we could or couldn't. So we built this, what we call wisdom-based learning methodology. And this is what I've been doing for four years. And um, I can tell you my, the other thing I say now about my work life is I had the best big company job. Now I have the best little company job. And um, I've been super fortunate because particularly with your audience in mind, I mean, I had some really bright, younger, early, co you know, recent college grads. Most of them were came out of cons uh, consulting companies from really good schools that jumped on board with me a few years ago and that are really helping me grow this, this organization. And most importantly, they're super passionate about our mission, which is, as you mentioned, the title of my recently released book, it's just to help people get unstuck. And, and that's the work we do. I think people, I think leaders get stuck. We do as individuals, also not just as leaders, we get stuck on really hard stuff and we just built this cool way to get unstuck. So that's how I ended up where I am. It's been a very, very fortunate journey for me. You know, it's, it's always interesting to me to see leaders like yourself that have climbed the corporate ladder, achieved ridiculous amounts of success, and then want to give back and to kind yeah. of 
maybe transition from, you know, super success to super significance and, yeah. and, and helping others. And so yeah, well, I appreciate that, that really definitely resonated with me. Now in your current role as CEO of GXG, yeah. you know, you mentioned this wisdom based approach, this radically simple approach to kind of help leaders and businesses get unstuck. So hoping you can kind of tell us a little about what that approach looks like without giving away the secret sauce, of course. Yeah, well, you know, I give it away. That's why I wrote the book, actually, because we had clients that say, hey, this really works. And it's not, it's unlike any consulting or stuff we've ever tried. You should put it in a book. And I'm like, well, I never thought about writing a book. So fortunately, I had some great help in my company here that, that, that helped me put it together. So it's actually all out there. And, and, and my feeling is, and I don't know if it's the best, quote, business decision, Brian, but but I think when, you, when you're fortunate enough to run into things that work, I think it's important that we do share it with people and so whether and I so I want to share the methodology with people it's really simple actually but I want to share it with people and if we can help them do it that's great but I encourage particularly when I do talks of groups of people go do the stuff yourself we actually teach them how to do it so again probably not the you'd say traditionally the smartest business model but that's my passion and so and and our methodology is fundamentally very simple and for your audience especially hopefully it will resonate because it goes back and what I'm really leveraging is the history of education and by that I mean when you look at how education started <laughs> we were supposed to learn really hard complicated topics from the wisest people and typically in either a one-on-one -on -one format or a very small group and again that's just history whether you trace back you know secular or biblical history I mean, it's all there and so when I bumped into this idea when I got stuck on hard business things digital transformations great buzzword everybody works on it that's a hard thing I can tell you that right I was stuck on that and so what we tend to do when we're trying to do new things and you'll find I don't use a lot of technical terms because I'm not a trained consultant but I call it new stuff right digital for me was new stuff and when you try to do that what happens is the is our wisdom and how I define wisdom is the intersection of both knowledge and experience. And it has to be both. So if you think about that definition and this knowledge and experience, knowledge and experience, okay, so that intersection is super important. So when you try to do new stuff as a leader, especially, guess what happens? The knowledge and experience goes down, not incrementally, it's exponential. And this is a big problem for leaders because we don't like that. <laughs> we want to say, and, and, and I know we're just on audio here, but you can see me. I have a cup of coffee and a water jug. So if I make cups of coffee and all of a sudden I want to be in the water jug business, as a leader, guess what? Our egos say, we can make water jugs. Not that hard, right? Well, the reality is it is pretty hard because you've never done that before. That's all. So that's, it's important that everyone understands that's the guts of this is if you buy into the fact that if we have the right wisdom in the room, in the conversation, we're going to solve hard stuff faster. And the reality is when I say it, usually people go, well, that's kind of common sense. But guess what? We don't usually do that. And so all we did was build a business model around that. So if I'm stuck on digital transformation, then we just help people understand. We do it through, if you picture an ecosystem, any type of ecosystem, we put digital transformation in the middle, whatever goal you're after. And we actually build little advisory boards, which are just wise people like you that have wisdom in a little swim lane. And then we highly facilitate that conversation to get you unstuck. 
And again, that sounds really simple. It's like, why would that work? I mean, why does that, and it works fast. We actually trademarked called rapid cycle learning. And the reason it goes so quickly is that these are people that have been before us and already done the thing we're trying to do. Instead of what most organizations do is we get in a room and we have, I call it the circle of stuck. I draw a picture in the book, the circle of stuck. We get in the room, we have meetings and we email people and we CC people and then we BCC people. And it get, the chain gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then we bring in consultants and then we bring in think tank and we bring in ideation and we're right back to where we started having another meeting and the reason we do that is there's no wisdom in there to break the chain and so that's what I do we when we have a lot of ways that we do this one is advisory boards and one is coaching you've heard of executive coaching forever right and nothing wrong executive coaching I think behavioral psychology is awesome but we do the same thing to help leaders right and we we call them I like to call them moments that matter right so if you think about a leader what are the moments that matter you're new to a job that matters because you're new. You've been in a job and somebody piles on a bunch of stuff. That matters because now I got a bunch of stuff and I don't know how to do. Or you're a successor for somebody else's job. Now, in those moments that matter, just think about it. Use yourself as an example. And I would encourage the students, particularly the ones that are starting to look at jobs because you're going to be new to a job. I bet if you drew an ecosystem, right? Everybody do that right now. You just draw a circle in the middle. That's you. And draw the job you either want to have or you may have. And then just draw three ecosystem bubbles. And those bubbles should be the buckets of wisdom, knowledge, and experience that you would love to have in that moment that matters. And so how we teach is by populating those bubbles with super wise people that have already done it, right? And that's it. That, that's, that's the business model. That makes sense? Oh, 100%. There's so many things to kind of unpack out of that. And I'm just thinking as it pertains to, to young leaders, you know, yeah. college age kids, new graduates, and you talk about wisdom being this combination of knowledge and experience. And I yeah. think one of the great things of, you know, universities, if they're doing it right, is to kind of start planting that knowledge. But what they are lacking, those graduates, is an experience. That's right. What are your recommendations for those new graduates in, like, what are your tips and tips? techniques for because you want to populate that ecosystem with the right people in those bubbles that's so right give me tips in terms of how to how our students can find those yeah. oh absolutely because i mean you guys are in a, in a very high-end institution so the knowledge is right there i mean you got the best professors the best environments and none of your students and nobody is going to leave here without a great knowledge bucket the experience is harder right because experience takes time so the obvious way is everyone's going to get hopefully everyone will go get a job and start to get experience the other way we can get it is to be taught by people with the experience so what I encourage students to do, and it doesn't matter what age, even our young, very young associates right out of school in our company, we do this with them because it's the same methodology I would use with a CEO is to say, again, what is that bucket of wisdom? So if you're taking a new job that happens to involve some type of global role, right? My guess is you don't know anything about that. Well, guess what? That's one of your buckets, right? How do I work in a global company? Something really simple like that. Well, guess what? If you draw that bubble and then you start to think about, well, what are the things I don't understand? I don't understand culturally how to do that. You know, I might come up with three or four things that I would just love to know. And those are the people 
that you go populate it with. And those are the conversations that you want to have. But be very intentional about it, right? We tend to learn in generalities when it comes to this. We call it networking, right? And it's really social stuff. So what we try to teach people is how to actually network and learn these things. So I encourage younger people that are just starting out especially is to draw the ecosystem of your moments that matter and be very specific about what you need to learn, both from a knowledge standpoint and from an experience standpoint, and then use your networking skills to find those people that have those experiences. And here's the cool part, Brian. If you ask people in the right way, they love to share their experience and they will teach you. And guess what? If you do it intentionally, it only takes an hour or two. And if you do that with six or seven people on that international example, you think about where you'll be on the learning curve versus bumbling along for two or three years trying to figure it out. It's a game changer. So we encourage anybody at any stage, any age, and particularly in these moments that matter, first job's one of them, is to build your own little ecosystem. <laughs> what are the buckets? Be honest about it, that you don't have both knowledge and experience, and then you go populate that. And those people are everywhere, I promise you. So this is an interesting thread that I think, I know I saw on your website. I'm not sure if it shows up in the book. I imagine it probably does. Okay. One of the messages that really kind of resonated with me was revolving around leadership and the feeling of being vulnerable and alone. Yeah. And, you know, given my experiences as a commander in the military, yeah. uh, as a leader of different organizations throughout my career, I know exactly how that feels. And I've often said that, you know, leadership can be lonely. And I think that leads to a lot of leadership problems sometimes, similar to what you were referring to before about that feeling of going outside for help might be, you might misconstrue that as a sign of weakness. That's right. Or that you might show that you don't know everything. How, what's your advice for getting over that kind of hurdle for, for folks? Yeah, number one, it's number one step. And it is in the book. We have a whole, I think a whole chapter dedicated to it. It's called Humility. And one of the things I would encourage, particularly people embarking early on in their work life, is study it, practice it, make it part of who you are as a person. Your entire work life and leadership roles that you have get materially easier if you honestly have some core humility. And where it impacts this learning thing is if I'm humble enough to draw that ecosystem and say, I don't have the knowledge and experience in here, and I'm humble enough to ask the right people to teach me, and then I reciprocate and I teach them, I promise you, work life is easier, it's richer, it's more fun. And I see it over and over, Brian, where this breaks down is when we don't have it. I actually do, in one of the talks I do, spend a great amount of time just even defining humility and walking through different definitions and why it matters, right? For me, in the work I do now, the number one thing I care about, especially with CEOs, is just admit to me you're stuck. And stuck doesn't mean you're not trying. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean any of those things. All it means is things aren't moving fast enough. They're not moving fast enough because I don't have the wisdom to help them move faster. So that's where I start this. And it's a great question, Brian, but I just, I really do urge all the students to just practice that early. It will become part of who you are. And then it's so comfortable asking people to help. And you'll see there's actually some great data on this. The correlation with people that ask 
ask continually, how do I get better? There's an incredible correlation to success on that one question. I actually use that as a hiring tool and a promotion tool in all of my years moving up in the organization is I wanted to surround myself with people that were always asking me how to get better. If you pause there and just think about that and think about people in your life and network, you'll be shocked at how few people actually do that. But those are going to be your most successful people. So do it early, do it young, and you'll learn it. Fantastic advice. I, and I know I can picture people right now that are that illustrate that big time. Let's talk more about your book. And first, I should give kudos to you and your publishing team for uh, <laughs> impeccable timing on oh, uh, in, a, in a time in our world where we're in a, going through a global pandemic, a financial yeah. crisis. I imagine there's a couple thousand or hundreds of thousands of leaders out there that might feel as though they're stuck. I'm curious as to, you know, you've given us some, some ideas of, of, okay, how do you get unstuck? But I'm curious as to, have you identified any symptoms to recognize you're stuck? Because as you mentioned, the first step of this process is recognizing and admitting to yourself that you're stuck. So can you describe like who's who's right for that? Yeah, I kind of have fun with this one because I, I get this question all the time. It kind of offends people sometimes. I say, hey, what are you stuck on? They're like, wait, I'm not stuck on anything. I'm like, well, we probably all are if we're honest about it or, or humble enough to admit it. So what I came up with was just a series of sort of fun symptoms, as we call them. The ultimate symptom is results, right? At the end of the day, let's, not, let's get over this. I mean, uh, business tends to be very results focused and it should be, particularly public companies, but even private companies. So results are number one, right? I mean, your results are either there or they're not there. And the reality is, Brian, over a period of time, he's looking at Fortune 100 earnings over a 25-year period. It's a roller coaster. I mean, this is not a perfectly linear world we live in, right? And we certainly know that right now. So if we get over the fact that we're going to be in these troughs and that would be stuck, that's one way to know you're stuck. But I found all these other symptoms. And again, it happened in my company. Everything I do is based on my own sort of personal experience. So some of the symptoms are stuck. And I mentioned it earlier. We actually draw, draw in the book. It's called the circle of stuck. The number one symptom is your meetings. How many meetings you have? How long are they? And more importantly, what do you do with that stuff, right? So the typical flow of circle of stuck is we have a meeting. Somebody summarizes it and we email it to a bunch of people. And then we start start carbon copying or CCing people on it. And, and that trend tends to go around in a circle in of itself a few times. I had a CEO interrupt me the other day and said, hey, I got a record. I'm like, what do you mean a record? He goes, yeah, I feel like you're talking about my company. And I'm like, I don't know anything about your company yet. He said, I just, I just saw, yeah, super awkward. I said, I, I, I just saw an email that had 347 CCs on it. I said, wow, how do you feel about that? He goes, well, I felt bad. Now listening to you, I feel horrible, right? He goes, you're saying I'm in the circle of stuck. I said, I don't know, that's for you to decide. But if I'm sitting there thinking that there is somebody having meetings that some, I don't care how big the company is, and we feel like we have to carbon copy 347 people, my guess is they don't know how to get unstuck and they're not moving fast enough. And that tends to happen. And then we tend to bring in all these think tank kind of groups and consultants and so nothing wrong with that. But what the common denominator here is, oh, then the other thing I love is we tend to, we call it buzzword salad. We tend to then, or my company did, we create a new vocabulary, right? So we start creating buzzwords around the problem, which kind of makes us feel better. You know, we've got all these words, but no, it's nothing's moving forward. We're still stuck, right? And then what we find is no matter what are those steps you do is we end up back where we started and we start having more meetings. And when I lay that out, and I did, again, it happened in my company and I laid it out with companies all over the world the last four years and everybody starts shaking their head going, that's my company. And so I started using that as like, this is just sort of one diagnosis, not diagnostic tool to say, if your company behaves this way, which most do, most organizations do, most families do, newsflash, then there's a reason. And the reason is we're stuck. And I would argue that 
again, it's not because we're bad, not because we're not working hard. There's a lot of work actually going on in Circle of Stuck, but we don't tend to have the knowledge and experience to break that chain. And what's amazing is, boy, you taught, you lob in, it's like a grenade almost, you lob in the right wisdom. And guess what? You don't need the next meeting because we just made a decision. That's it. So first of all, this is fascinating because I'm thinking of my time in, in the military and some organizations where we would always refer to the, the meeting after the meeting. Yeah, <laughs> right? absolutely. And, uh, and how many man hours kind of go into that. I want to I pull one thread, which I know is a problem for a lot of our students. Sure. Uh, so we, are, we put our students in a lot of experiential opportunities to, to display leadership. And one of those is every spring we split them up in about 10 or 11 students. They are, those teams are completely interdisciplinary. Yeah. And we have to execute a semester-long project yeah. where we, facilitate, we don't facilitate, but we provide feedback on what happens in those uh, okay. sessions. So my, my question for you is, with this emphasis on wisdom-based learning from others, which yeah. you know, is kind of leaning towards you know, taking the best and, and, and learning from those mm-hmm. that have done it before you, Exactly. There's also a problem with some of our students that get too bogged down, and I would say stuck, when it comes to they feel most comfortable when there's consensus. That's right. And when there's not consensus, they feel uncomfortable moving forward. Yeah. What is your best advice? Because they don't want to be perceived as, you know, dictator, you know, tyrannical leaders that, you know, are making decisions by themselves without anything. How do you balance those two things? Yeah, well, first of all, that's it's one of the circle of stuck symptoms that, that I didn't get to. We have a whole bunch of them. And that's one of the symptoms, right, where we get paralyzed by this thing called consensus, right? And, and it really is a problem in most organizations. So a couple of thoughts. One leads to my definition of leadership. And this, first of all, I love what you're doing. This is an incredible way to learn. You put them in groups. They've got wisdom within the group. They're figuring stuff out. Hopefully, they're allowed to go get some outside wisdom. So I love that, actually. But it goes back to my definition of leadership, and I think it sits, for me anyway, way above all the other million definitions of leadership. And so I think leaders get paid to make choices. That's it. Below that sits all the hundreds of other things that we have to do as leaders. So what I would encourage each of those groups, and you can teach this, is how do I make better choices faster? If you buy into my definition, that becomes the question. This is where wisdom-based learning comes in because what I want to do is say, okay, if I can't make the decision quickly on my own, which are the hard decisions we usually can't, then I'm going to look at my group, if I'm in that student group, and say, okay, let's draw the ecosystem. Who actually has knowledge and experience in these things we're struggling with, right? Because guess what? Consensus among people that don't have a lot of knowledge and experience is useless. Let's just get over that, right? It's just not helpful. So what you want to do is be super brutally honest with each other and say, okay, who actually has knowledge and experience in these buckets? And guess what? That's the group we're going to listen to on this topic and that's how we're going to increase our wisdom and make the choice because here's what happens the sequencing is so much fun I see it with leaders every day that we work with as the wisdom goes up our confidence goes up and guess what the only inhibitor to making choices faster is confidence in my opinion it's the only thing that holds about us back from being amazing leaders is confidence how do we get confidence up you raise the wisdom and there's other ways but you raise somebody's wisdom confidence source, the decision source. So let's go back to that little group. What I would encourage them to do is be brutally honest. Again, I like the ecosystem format. They can do it any way they want, but be brutally honest. Who in the group has real knowledge and experience? And if you do that, usually it's just, it's not many, maybe one or two. It's like, okay, you're going to make the recommendation on this and we're going to follow that. Right. And now you've made a choice. That's how I would do it. 
fantastic advice because I've been in the room when they're making these decisions. And once again, we will provide strategic feedback at strategic points in the process. So it's not like we're facilitating. And I cannot yeah. tell you how many times I've seen students where in an effort to be to build consensus, we'll make a decision uh, yeah. <laughs> based off of what most people think. And you're right, most people may not have the wisdom necessary to, to qualify to make the decision. And what happens is you get watered down decisions that Absolutely. are- Absolutely, yeah. So, and, and let's be honest, they're, really, and they're usually really bad decisions because we've had, this is what happened to me on digital transformation. I finally looked around the room and I go, there's eight of my senior leadership team. None of us had any knowledge and experience on digital. It wasn't really even generationally a thing. And we're making all the decisions. Now, first of all, we couldn't make decisions. Sounds like your groups. And the ones we were making were really bad, not because we were bad people. We didn't have the knowledge and experience. So, and, and, and I'll actually make an offer for you because I love this stuff. If you guys, when you're back in together and these groups are launching, I promise you, I would pop in for one hour and draw this on a whiteboard for them, how you think about it, how you do it. And we've actually done this. I think we did this with a group of Georgia Tech students and then watch them go at it in a whole different mode right let's go find the knowledge and experience let's let's use that let's unlock that and then activate a decision it's game changing and it's super fun to watch that happen Craig, you know this is being recorded, so we're going to hold you to that. I, I love this. <laughs> I, you know, my team is 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 always nervous when I do this because I just want to go work on this stuff and not all of our client engagement. So well, you tell your on record. You crank these up in January. So Let's go. I'll, I'll be there. You just tell me. Well, thank you. So uh, we have a couple more minutes left, and I want to sure. thread on. You mentioned digital transformation. Yeah. And I buzzword, but I think throughout your career, one of the things <laughs> you failed at is managing and leading change. Yeah. What are, what are your kind of bullet points in terms of advice for, for leaders that are having to lead change? We're going to see a lot of it, you know, come with the pandemic. We're going to see a lot of it come with the pandemic. And, and, and I will tell you that those that get this are going to just thrive coming out of this. And I th hopefully that's encouraging to your students. And, and uh, let me just share three quick things that we teach related to this that I think will resonate with the students on this topic. And I'm super passionate about it because most leaders at every stage, including the CEO, leave these three things behind. Number one, personal brand. Study it, work on it, figure it out. We have a methodology we use. I love sharing it with people. I'm happy to do that if any of your students are interested. It's not that hard, but it's usually neglected. You can't lead effectively without understanding your personal brand, activating it, and always nurturing it. Number two, learn how to communicate. Communication is not hard, and it's not being the next motivational speaker and all that kind of stuff. We teach a technique called Message Square. There's lots of techniques. I love Message Square because it's super simple. One of the biggest drawbacks for leaders, particularly in crisis time like we're here now, is the muddled message, right? That's what's happening in your groups even, is they can't message message to each other what we're trying to get done. And then when they do land on a decision, they probably message it very poorly to the group, right? I'd be almost willing to bet the people that win every year are the ones that have the best message, not the best idea. So learn how to communicate through message squaring. And the third thing is be part of building an incredible culture in whatever organization you go into. And I would encourage you, I teach the culture that I prefer, that I built at Assurance, I teach companies everywhere now, is focused on Angela Duckworth's work around Grit. Get the book, read it. I started doing it 15 years ago before it was cool and it was just research paper. It's super easy to study it. I love to teach on it. We do talks on it. But if you 
are part of a culture that believes in this research around grit and you start to be somebody who has the passion and perseverance, which is what grit is, you will be part of the solution as a culture. So work on your personal brand, learn how to communicate through tools like Message Square and be a part of something that's super gritty and you be a part of that personally. And I promise you, you will thrive even in the first job. That's my two cents, or actually three cents, I guess. It's more than three cents. Those are really (laughs) uh, bullet points. And so Duckworth actually studied West Point cadets for- uh, Absolutely. One of my favorite favorite stories. I mean, and if you look at the correlation on the summer training, it correlated to grit above everything else, as do most things. And I've used it extensively corporately. I used it with my four kids. I've used it with relationships, and I promise it works, so- go study it. So not making this stuff up, but this semester, our students will be having a class on personal brand. Let's go. Happy to hear that. Um, I love it. I think we really pride ourselves on trying to really nail down communication. One of the interesting things that we do, I mentioned those, those groups that we split them off before we utilize the market research center on campus, which is usually used for groups. And so we film these meetings and we will provide, you know, uh, feedback to students on how they communicate not in a phony presentation, but in a real world environment. And then we have a class this semester on elite organizational culture. So I, oh, I there we go. That. You guys are absolutely on it. Absolutely. But you, you, you've given us some fantastic ideas to, uh, <laughs> to incorporate in that. And the last question, because I know we're, we're about out of time, sure. is any resources in addition to, you know, we're going to encourage everybody to go out and buy Unstuck, but there are, are there any resources and people that you follow, whether those are books to read, you mentioned grit, blogs to follow, or maybe people on social media that are thought leaders in this space that you consume yourself that you think would be of value to our students? Yeah, I probably wouldn't name names, Brian, because there's so many, but let me do it this way. I would draw, draw the ecosystem and focus on the things that you don't have knowledge and experience when, particularly for your students as you're thinking about that first job, and then go sort by those. Because what I find, because I do it myself, we tend to go double down on stuff we already like and we know we're pretty good at. It's kind of fun. And I just would encourage there's so much rich information on the stuff we don't know. Again, it's kind of the heart of our business model. And go follow those people. Go read their stuff. And if you're bold enough to do it, go find them and respectfully ask them to teach you right? Not just read about it and they will teach you. Pick up the phone and call people. I, I tell, every time I do talks, I tell people, I put my cell phone number up. When you want to do big talks group here, I said, just call me. Just call. If you want to talk more about this, I can tell you I do personal branding. Not, I mean, your class is probably far better than my, what I can do, but I can, I can, I can do personal branding in, in one hour with people just to get them going and to think about it completely different. Just call me. And it's amazing how few people end up doing that. And the ones that do, boy, they get it. And so I would encourage these folks to do this, to all the students to reach out out to people who have this wisdom and um, and follow them. No, fantastic advice. And once again, now I know it's on pre-sale, Unstuck, how to unlock and activate the wisdom of others. Do you know when it's going to be is it getting published uh, this fall, I imagine? Yeah, October 5th, it'll be, uh, it's up on Amazon for pre-sale and then it'll be, uh, it'll be live and, and, and ready to ship on October 5th. So yeah, excited about getting that out there. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to order my copy, Craig. And uh, Excellent. again, on behalf of everybody here in the Institute and at Seton Hall, thanks for spending the time with us. Yeah. And again, Brian, thank you and Audrey so much for reaching out and um, talking to Carrie and uh, just a real pleasure being with you and, and good luck to you guys. I know it's hard out there and especially for students right now, but hang in there. This stuff will get better and they've got an incredible future and we're counting on them most importantly, the next generation. So thank you guys very much. Thanks, Craig. Take care, everybody. 
On behalf of everyone at the Bucino Leadership Institute, I'd like to thank all of our podcast listeners, the podcast team, as well as 89.5 WSOU Pirate Radio for allowing us to use their facilities. Follow us online at www.shu.edu backslash leadership and on Twitter at Shu Leadership. At Seton Hall, we make leaders better.